last week we began looking at this passage together. We got through verse 1. That was intentional. We continue this morning. We'll look uh, at verses 1 through 4 in just a moment. Have you ever heard of a Judas goat? Do you know what a Judas goat is? A Judas goat is a trained goat used in general animal herding. This goat is trained to associate with the sheep them to recognize him, and he leads them to a specific destination. In the stockyards, a Judas goat will lead sheep to slaughter, or its own life to be saved. They're also used to lead other animals to specific pens or onto trucks. This term is obviously then a reference to the biblical character Now the reason I bring this up is because need to be led to graze in good pastures. If not, they'll eat the grass down to the dirt and even starve themselves because they don't move and forage like other animals. They need to be led. So it's not surprising that scripture uses this metaphor of God's people over and over again. God's people are in need of godly shepherds. Let's look at our text together. 1 Peter 5 We'll look at verses 1 through 4. This is the word of our Lord. So, or therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the command. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at this passage together. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice in your wisdom in giving us leaders, godly leaders, who guide and direct us. And yet, Lord, we acknowledge that even the best of human leaders are human. They are sinners in need of your grace. That has been portrayed as we've read in the scriptures from Ezekiel 34. They can be selfish, sinful. So we need the good shepherd. We need the chief shepherd to guide us, both as leaders and as followers. 
So we look to Christ, who perfectly provides for us. May we trust you. May we rest in your provision, even as we see this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In his kindness and wisdom, Christ provides godly shepherds to lead his sheep. That's what Peter is telling us in these four verses. This morning, we'll very briefly review the first three points from last week and then add two more this morning. So first, the church-facing pressure. This is the context of our text this morning. It's seen in that very first word of verse 1, so or therefore. And it means that God's people especially need God's leaders when they're facing external hostility. That's part of the point, that's part of the context that Peter is stressing. Secondly, the author, Peter, is expressing humble authority. He doesn't use the titles that he could when he identifies himself in verse 1 with these elders, with these pastors. He says, I'm a fellow elder. Instead of saying, I'm an apostle, I'm your authority. He says, I'm identifying with you in the work. And we tied that back to John 21, where Peter, as a frail sinner, When he's confronted with pressure, he denies Christ. And yet Christ says, I will use this man to shepherd my sheep. Then number three, the elders receiving instruction. In verse two, Peter gives this main command of the text. And then he will follow it with a series of three contrasts. Not this, but this. So he's telling us how the shepherds are to shepherd. The elders or pastors of the church are commanded Shepherd, the flock of God among you. I want you to note it's the governing command in all four of these verses. And it is an incredibly weighty but delegated responsibility. As we talk about leadership in the church, authority is not a popular topic. We are prone to be suspicious of leaders, sometimes with very good reason. At other times because we just want to go our own way. This morning, I want you to be encouraged by the way that God has provided leadership for his people. I want to take a moment and demonstrate how significant this image, this picture of shepherding the sheep is in scripture. Peter's use of this metaphor for the leaders of the church is significant because we're told all throughout scripture that God is the shepherd of his people. Psalm 23, perhaps the most famous reference, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 103 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says of God himself, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. As we heard read this morning from Ezekiel 34, there's condemnation for shepherds who don't shepherd like God does. In verse 5, we read, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. Now, it might be easy for us to see this metaphor as negative. We've heard that sheep are simple. Maybe you've even heard them called stupid. At times, that's probably true. But that's not really how this metaphor is used in Scripture. 
God's not subtly calling us stupid. This is a tender and warm image meant to help us understand our need of being shepherded. It's not demeaning. It's meant to reveal to us who we are in our sinfulness, what we need from the good shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. This metaphor so accurately communicates our need. But more significantly, its use is designed to show us God's gracious and faithful love. It's meant to point us to his perfect ability to meet our needs, to care for us. And if you don't hear anything else in this sermon, I want you to hear that. God cares for you, his sheep. In 1 Peter, he does that in a very specific way. But that stands on this premise, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Your God eagerly and faithfully provides provision and protection in every stage of your life. Now Jesus picks up this same metaphor in John 10. We heard that read and the demonstration of God's love for us is heightened even more. Because we have a sheep that a shepherd rather, that knows his sheep intimately, that loves them to the point of giving up his life for sheep. They trust him. They're at ease in his presence and they follow him. Do you hear the kindness, the warmth, the love of God for us in this picture? As we saw last week from John 21, these sheep that Jesus spills his blood for, he commissions sinful, unfaithful, imperfect leaders to shepherd those precious sheep. He says to Peter, he says, feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep. And thirdly, he says, feed my sheep. So what this does for us, it puts this framing of leadership within the church within this precious context. This is a high and holy calling for the men that God equips and calls to serve his people. This cannot be domineering. This is not meant to be authoritarian. That's not how God leads. That's not how our Christ shepherds his flock. So it must not be. How God's under shepherds shepherd. Now you may think this morning that because you're not an elder, you're not desiring to be a pastor, well then this doesn't apply to you because Peter's talking directly to the shepherds. But I want you to understand that Peter disagrees. In the wisdom of God's spirit, Peter now gives this instruction for all of God's people to hear in these five churches, in these five regions filled with churches. Peter certainly believes the entire, the entire church needs to understand what God expects of his under-shepherds. That provides this unity around what this job is, both in the leaders leading and in the followers submitting. They both know what the responsibilities are. This is wisdom. It's as if Peter is saying to these churches, I want you all to hear both the responsibilities of the leaders and the followers. 
So I would ask you this morning to pray for your pastors that we would understand and keep in mind, that's the challenge, keep in mind the significance of this delegated authority and responsibility. It's the highest calling in our lives. And then follow them as a congregation that understands just how significant a role this is. This is meant to honor and glorify the chief shepherd, our Christ. I would also ask you to pray that the Lord leads us collectively with a unified mind to identify and recognize the men among us that God is preparing to join in this ministry as lay elders in the future. If you were not with us last week, I'd strongly encourage you to listen to the first part of this message and grab some of the liter literature from off the back table. I've added to that this week. There are a couple of small books that you're welcome to take with you and read on this subject. Now, shepherds are also to care for their own sheep. Peter commands shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight of your particular flock. So our focus then is not on what we think of others in another body. It's not to judge them and say what they should be doing. Nor are we to expect an authoritative voice speaking to us from outside of the church. God's given authority for us to lead this body and only this body. God's giving this instruction to these churches demonstrating that God's people need shepherds. We mentioned that last week, but I want this to come home to you. God is providing for you in a loving way by giving you men to lead you from his word. So that as you go through life and there's struggles or concerns or questions, they're the ones who are in front of you to go to. They're eager to serve you. We also need to recognize that this is part of being a flock. This is a plural metaphor. Peter's assuming that you will recognize your place among the church family. That's where there's health and growth. The longer I'm in ministry, the older I become, the more I'm realizing I don't see my heart. I don't see my sinfulness. I don't see the areas of health as well as I think I do. The Bible assumes all over the place that we can be self-deceived. I need the body. I need other men to come alongside me and graciously point out both where I need to grow and where I'm already growing. I need admonishment and encouragement. That's how God designs the body to work. Each of us needs this. And that's the beauty of God's provision and plan in a church family that's healthy and working together. Our fourth point, the responsibility being explained. In verses 2 through 3, now Peter's going to provide these three contrasts. In these three exhort exhortations, we need to understand that Peter is acknowledging that your leaders need God's grace. He wouldn't warn you of these dangers if they weren't real. Likely, if he hadn't seen them before. He's seen pastors struggle in this way. There will be a pull in the lives of your leaders toward one or all of these areas, especially as opposition to the truth increases. I think it's right to conclude from this text that the shepherds also need shepherding within a group of plural elders. 
I think it's fair to make that argument. This is one of the strongest practical arguments for a plurality of elders in a church. Certainly pastors are human. We are sinners. Our motives, like all of God's sheep, sometimes stray from what is right. Sometimes, as we read this section, it's not easy to be eager to do the work of the ministry. We need God's help from God's people to keep our eyes on Christ. Peter knows this firsthand, doesn't he? We've referred to his restoration now a couple of times. Even though pastors serve in a role of responsibility and delegated authority, they need help to walk with Christ. We don't ever want to portray our leadership or our leaders as people that are beyond growth. That we know the right thing at all times. That we don't need exactly what you need. We are sheep, just like the rest of the flock. The CEO model of a singular leader with sole authority is very dangerous for a pastor. It's dangerous. Elders are in need of God's instruction and grace. Certainly this does not diminish the need for them to be spiritually mature, godly examples to the flock. But that doesn't mean they're sinless. It doesn't mean they're without the need of other mature godly believers to challenge and encourage them. Pastor and author Dave Hardby rightly concludes, a healthy plurality of leaders leads to a healthier church. I'm extremely grateful for the many godly men in our church on whom I have leaned for years. For wise counsel, for help in leadership. I want you to know that I am being shaped, challenged, and encouraged by others in this body. I want that to be a godly example to you. Think again of the pattern of leadership established in the New Testament. Jesus appointed apostles, plural. He gives two offices to the church. He gives elders, plural. And he gives deacons, plural. All of them are plural. Now certainly within human structures we see a singular leader. And that's partly how people argue sometimes for that position. But the singular leader in the church is Jesus, the chief shepherd. Elders, pastors, overseers serve underneath of him. This is his wise design for our health, growth, and stability. The first contrast is not out of obligation, but willingly. Pastors in the church are not to serve out of obligation or out of mere duty, but with a wholehearted desire because they know it's God's will for their life. The second half of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Elders are to serve willingly. This is the very first qualification listed in 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The word for desire, this same idea of willingly, is seen in the negative in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. In Hebrews eleven sixteen, the word is used of those in the hall of faith who are pursuing a heavenly country. But as it is, they desire a better country. So this first phrase demonstrates elders should shepherd God's people with an eager 
willingness. It's something that's internal driving them to do something that is difficult. That comes with great responsibility. That is sobering. That is beyond any mere human. But there's also an important balance here. Notice that this is dressing, addressing internal motivations that are sometimes difficult to keep in check. There needs to be a clear knowledge that this specific kind of service is God's will. Think of it. That was important even for the Son of God, who when he's following God's path, he's brought into hardship, and he has to pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. James 3.1 provides a balancing warning. Not many of you should become teachers, he says. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a sobering reminder that leadership first is accountable to Christ. And they're accountable for their service to God's people. It should not be pursued out of a desire for recognition or validation or for control. Leadership in the church of God is a sober and high calling. It will require clarity as to God's will. It requires long hours of study to teach God's word. It requires time preparing to enter into the sins and conflicts in people's lives as they come for counseling. It requires long hours of often unrecognized and sacrificial willing service all done for the sake of our king. One commentator captures the spirit of Peter's thought exceptionally well when he says that elders are to serve not like drafted soldiers, but like volunteers. Glad voluntary service is God's standard. It's the way God expects things to be done. Jesus Christ was not a reluctant, unwilling servant. Instead, he persistently cares for a sheep gladly, willingly, freely, graciously. The second contrast, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Secondly, overseers are not to take a position of leadership in order to gain financial wealth. We've certainly seen leaders in churches who are eager to profit financially from their position of leadership and authority. Titus 1, in Titus 1, Paul instructs Titus not to appoint men who are eager for financial gain. Certainly those who labor diligently in the teaching of God's word to his people are worthy of compensation. That's 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. It's right to provide for full-time pastors so that they can give their full attention to the teaching of the word, to the leadership of God's people. But godly leaders are not in it for the money. Paul exemplifies this in Acts 20, verses 33 and following. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the Lord, words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's saying, I'm not in this for the money. The leaders of God's flock do not serve because they have to, as if it were simply another job, nor do they serve to skim off money for themselves. John Gill, a Baptist pastor in the 1700s, was once warned that one of his chief financial supporters was going to be deeply offended by a doctrine, a statement on a key doctrine he was about to publish. 
Some of his close friends came to him. They pleaded with him, please don't go forward with this because if you do, you could possibly lose the greater part of your income. John Gill turned to his friends. He looked them squarely in the eye and said, losing? Do not talk to me of losing. I have nothing of value in comparison with the gospel. I'm not afraid to be poor. I'm not bound by finances. Instead of pursuing temporal financial gain, godly pastors, the contrast is that they're to serve with eagerness. One author summarizes, eager elders are driven to care for the sheep. The sheep are their life, their chief concern. If they're looking at their shepherd, the good shepherd, they're willing to sacrificially give of their time. If the sheep have a need and they can meet it, they make arrangements to do so. They're not concerned about the personal sacrifice they make or their own financial gain. Like Paul, who at times provided his own income through tent making, they gladly serve without pay or recognition. They shepherd because they're shepherds, not because of what they get out of it. They love to shepherd God's people. Can I encourage you again in this? Your pastors here at Super Road are extremely blessed in this area. This body has historically served its pastors faithfully and well in the area of finances. Third, not lording over, but being an example. In the third contrast, Peter again exhorts the leaders of the church not to lead in order to oppress or to lord their authority over God's flock. I think Peter likely has Jesus' words about the contrast between a godly and ungodly exercise of authority in his mind. In Mark 10, 42 and following, Jesus said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see how Jesus is protecting his flock from domineering shepherds? He's teaching them not how we naturally think of authority, as a way to be in charge, as a way to get our way, but as a way to die to self. Leadership in the church is not about bossing others around. It's about humble service. That adjective, humble, is vital. It's essential. It's about providing an example of humble, self-sacrificing service. It comes in the contrast primarily from being a godly example. Being an example fits well with this image of the flock, writes commentator Peter Davids. For the ancient shepherd did not drive his sheep, he walked in front of them and called them to follow. Think of how much of the Bible is biographical, describing for us how and how not to live. Jesus is the greatest example of all. So among a church family, the elders' primary style of leadership is not to command, but to model what it looks like to walk with Christ. It's to call to the people, follow me as I follow him. God's leaders should be like Paul and cry out, who 
is sufficient for these things. They're the ones most likely to set the best example. As Peter says just a few verses later here in chapter 5, God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. That's to characterize all of God's people. Do you know what the kind of leaders that we should be looking for in this church? Do you know what they look like? We're to look for humble and faithful servants who are already loving and serving others in the church family, sacrificially investing their time and their gifts into other people's lives, wherever they can, wherever they might find opportunity. They're proactive. They seek for opportunities. These kind of men and women do not need a title or an official position. That's not how we're to characterize ourselves within the church. We are servants, all of us, ready to serve like our Christ serves us. They're content to simply pour their lives into the lives of others around them. And there are many such people in our church family. 2 Timothy 2.2 tells me that one of the primary responsibilities that I and the other pastors have in this church is to find faithful men who are able to teach others in this same way. Serving like Christ doesn't demand recognition, positions, or influence. What position did Jesus have? in this life what recognition did he truly get this isn't a demand as a leader in the church that we do things my way so again i'm so encouraged to see this kind of humble service flourishing among us and we want that to increase and grow it's busy, humble, often quiet service, seeking the good of brothers and sisters in the body, sacrificially, wherever possible. That is God's design for your growth, for our growth. Does this kind of humble, loving service for the sake of others describe you? Are you available? Are you faithful? Are you teachable? Who are you serving in the body? Jesus provides for us the perfect demonstration of these positive character traits, doesn't he? Of this kind of willing service. He selflessly gives up his exalted seat in heaven to enter this world as a servant. Humbly submitting even to flawed human parents. A flawed human govern government. He does that willingly and gladly. He does not grasp or cling to his rights, but willingly and humbly gives them up to serve sinners. He recruits weak and unfaithful followers who don't validate him as they should. In the garden he prays, not my will but yours. Both the elders and a congregation need to look to Christ, the chief shepherd, who gladly gives his grace to both imperfect shepherds and needy sheep. Number five, the chief shepherd honors faithful servants. In verse four, Peter puts these admonitions again in perspective of our final reward. He calls Jesus here the chief shepherd. This is the only place in all of scripture that this title is used. Peter's coined a new phrase or name for Jesus. Commentator Thomas Schreiner concludes the designation of Jesus as the chief shepherd reminds the leaders that they are fundamentally servants, not autocrats, 
Their positions of leadership are a responsibility, not a privilege by which they advance their own status. As shepherds, they serve under the authority of the chief shepherd, doing his will rather than theirs. Both the shepherds and the sheep must always then keep in mind that Jesus alone is the real authority in the church. And we submit ourselves as we hear him speak from his word. Now, what is this crown mentioned in verse 4? We're told it's an unfading crown. It does not fade away. It's not temporary. But commentators disagree as to what exactly this means. There are two main options or ideas. The crown of glory may be the crown which is glory. It may be the glory of being with Christ, referring to eternal life in his presence. This is the way this term is used in the book of James. Or secondly, it could mean a unique crown reserved for the men who serve God in this specific role. But the emphasis here is not so much on the specifics of the reward, but on the fact that Christ himself is paying attention to how his shepherds handle this responsibility. He's eager to acknowledge faithful service with eternal reward. One author helpfully summarizes verse 4 this way, hardworking, selfless shepherds may not have many earthly goods to show for a lifetime of toil, but someday the chief shepherd will come and fully reward his under-shepherds. Their work will no longer go unnoticed or underappreciated. He will reward them publicly before the hosts of heaven. All elders are to keep their eyes steadfastly fixed on his appearing, for reward day is coming. This passage teaches us that God cares for his sheep. God cares for Suba Road. And he does so by giving us elders, pastors, who are to serve his flock like Christ. That's the challenge of the text. This is meant to be modeled for all the church to follow. Yes, it goes first to the elders, the pastors, the overseers. But this is the path for all of us. Humble sacrificial service for the sake of God's glory. I hope you can see in this text God's heart, his love and care for his church through the words of Peter in these four verses. God continues to shepherd his sheep well by providing them with godly, growing leaders who are seeking to serve by his grace. They're to be selfless servants just like our good shepherd. They're to exercise their authority with gentleness and grace, leading the sheep by going before them. Church family, I want to commend you in the way that you follow your pastors. As I was thinking through this book and thinking about our church, I found and think about our body that you are an easy congregation to lead, and I am exceptionally grateful. That has happened for years if I can present to you a principle from God's word and say we need to apply it this way, you eagerly and willingly and gladly follow, even when it's a change from something we've done for years. Now that doesn't mean there are not hardships in pastoring or other areas where we need to grow in our leadership and in our submission. But our God is honored when we work together for his glory, when we hear his word, when we follow his designated shepherds so may he give us grace to continue well in this direction let's close with prayer
God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious to us. We thank you that you provide for us. I pray that the lesson we would see from this text is that you are a loving and good and gracious shepherd. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow your design. Help us to love you more because of how much you love us. Lord, grow our confidence in your ability to lead your church. Grow our submission. Grow your leaders, your leaders a grace as they seek to lead humbly and selflessly. Lord, we need your help to do what we cannot do on our own. So we ask that you would guide us even this morning as we respond to this text in our hearts. In Jesus' name. I'd ask that you keep your head bowed and your eyes 